gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Greetings once again. This is Radio Gormagon broadcasting tonight from the studio on the Mandarin's Orbital Weapons Platform. We are currently in geosynchronous orbit over one lucky listener's house. We're here to talk fun stuff, movies, television, sex changes, who knows what will come up. I'm joined, as usual, by colleagues in conspiracy tonight, the Mandarin, doing his best to chat while piloting and targeting the orbital weapon system, and Gort, who is back from a dimension that he can only express in hexadecimal, so I have no idea what it is. Gentlemen, good evening, morning, night, whatever it is. Hello, children. Hello. Greetings. Dimension 43 Alpha Bravo is kind of scary this time of year. But they have really good taffy, I hear, so... Only if you pull it yourself. Hey, that's the wrong web video. Wrong web video, Gort. Okay, so um, we thought tonight we would uh, talk a little bit about movies. And Gort uh, had a conversation he took note of and had some interesting thoughts on action movie franchises, franchise characters, uh, the trend, which seems to be sort of common in comic books and everything else, of recasting characters in new ways. So... What, what exactly was uh, on your mind there, Gord? Yeah, so with the launch of all the hype for Atomic Blonde, which I think, uh, I was going to check, but I think it opens this weekend or did open this past weekend. I know, I was at a theater and it wasn't playing yet, so I think okay, it's, so, it's still upcoming. Yeah, so maybe it's this coming weekend. Um, but the hype train is is moving forward on it. I noticed on Twitter earlier this week that a lot of people were resurfacing the argument that it's time for a female James Bond. And right. So Atomic Blonde, in case anybody hasn't been watching, is something like uh, a John Wick movie uh, with Charlize Theron as the super deadly assassin type lead. That's all I know. Um, but I'll go see it because, hey, that sounds like a fun movie. And I like Charlize Theron a lot. She's a great actress and not hard to look at. Right. And it's, I think it's going to be entertaining. I, I, I too uh, would like to see it. Mrs. Gorty and, and I saw Wonder Woman and completely enjoyed it, thought it was a great movie. So, so there's nothing wrong with a female character. That's not my issue. My issue is you have an established uh, universe, much like you have Marvel's characters and the DC Comics characters. You have the James Bond universe that has been long established since the early 60s, mid-60s, uh, in, in both book and film form, why try to, I guess to use the parlance of today, appropriate that character and change it? Why not introduce a new character in that universe? Make her 003 or 005 and, and, and make her a strong female lead character. I don't, see, I don't see the need for recasting an existing one. I, I think to your point, like you said, why recast it? But I think it serves two purposes. One, you know, the feminist movement sees James Bond as a misogynistic throwback to a previous age. So by recasting it with a woman, you can kind of eliminate that misogyny. And then you go through the whole process of, again, appropriating that character, creating something 
again, it's easier to, to like I said, appropriate the character than to try to create something new. And by like, there, there's two points here. So one, you eliminate the misogyny. Two, you appropriate the character, make it more feminine, and it just changes the whole dynamic of the movies. To your point, why not create just this different subset of a character? It's almost like it's not so much they want to recast James Bond. It's almost like they want to destroy the franchise. And I don't mean not make movies. I'm sure they'd be happy making, you know, four or five other movies in the franchise with a female lead character. But it somehow takes away from what that original character was. It changes the whole mythology. It's no different than Marvel, you know, tries to recast the comic book character and make Thor a woman now. Well, again, Thor's based on a, a mythical Norse god. It was who's a man, and and they repurpose that. It just makes it. It just it just seems like it's one. It's lazy, I think. And two, I think it's more than just having a female character. I think there's almost more behind it. I don't want to sound conspiratorial, even though we're a large conspiracy. But you know, it, it just seems that. There's more behind it than just having a female lead because, my God, there's not enough female you know, actresses out there. Like you said, there are some great female actresses. They do a great job. Some do a better job than men do in some of these roles. But again, give them their own vehicle. There's no reason why you have to basically put square wheels on a, on a, on a Ferrari you know, to, to, to change it. I mean, create a different vehicle. Yeah, I agree. Or use the same vehicle in a different way like um, Gorski was suggesting is essentially – use a James Bond universe in the same way that, you know, every other studio is throwing out the Marvel universe, the DC universe, the Star Wars universe, the Star Trek universe, making these, you know, branching franchise kind of movies. There's no reason you can't, you know, take MI6 and as you say, add a 003, 4, 8, whatever you like. I, I, that's, I think, the artistically better solution. If you were really concerned about combating, you know, misogyny and things like that, which, I mean, the Bond producers have been at pains to do with uh, greater and lesser success through probably the last two or three Bonds, Craig and um, Brosnan and Dalton. I think all of those movies, their you know, efforts made to uh, sort of get away from the uh, hello, lovey kind of characters that, uh, you know, uh, Moore and, and Connery sometimes portrayed. But anyway, I, I think that would be the, the artistically better solution, but I think probably for the reasons that Mandarin cited, the political solution is to, you know, appropriate change the character. And I would think, though, I mean, that whether which whichever way they do it, it'll probably work. I think there have been a number of pretty darn successful female-led, you know, shoot 'em up action movie things. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Salt uh, yep. was a, and that actually, interestingly enough, I watched that movie, and in the theater, and I thought to myself, this part was written for a man, and they've got a woman playing this, and the reason I could tell this was that there's a whole plot where um well it has to do with uh, russians is, is part of it and the lead character uh angelina jolie as miss salt i can't remember her name uh speaks russian and in instances she's speaking russian and in russian you change the past tense ending you use depending if you're a man or a woman and angelina jolie is speaking but every time she says something in the past you know ya gavaril or ya bil that's a, she was using the masculine form. And so I thought they wrote the screenplay, they got the Russian right, but they, they had written it for a man and nobody knew to change it for a female actor. So I, I went home and I hit Wikipedia or whatever. And yeah, sure enough, the movie was originally a Tom Cruise vehicle. Um, but anyway, good movie worth seeing. Um, you know, if you're looking for female headed action movies, that's a good one. Um, but 
yeah, I think, uh, I think unfortunately, cultural politics is, is, is behind a lot of this. Whereas, uh, you know, I think Gorty has a, has a much more, you know, nuanced artistic solution. Plus you can then use James Bond as a foil, right? Just like, uh, just saw Spider-Man Homecoming and Tony Stark shows up a bunch of times in the movie. And not only do you get Robert Downey Jr. in your movie, which is always good, but you know, you can play off elements of his character. Similarly, if you wanted to have your strong female lead double O, maybe she's the first double O in the history of MI6 or whatever. Uh, she can play off Bond and you can maybe even, you know, play up a little bit of the old Bondy and Neanderthal kind of, you know, aren't you lovely kind of uh, dynamic and uh, have her shoot it down in some way or, or, or form. however you do it, or even playfully uh, to show that, you know, he is no threat. But Again, I think that's where you get into art as opposed to politics. And, I, and these days, I mean, you hear, oh, you know, it's time for a black James Bond. Idris Elba should be James Bond or it's time for a female James Bond. Well, you know, OK, uh, if that's what you really want is to, you know, somehow, as Mandarin said, purge and cleanse the character of its sinfulness through uh, melanin or estrogen. OK, great. You know, you talk about that, though. I mean, we just had Dunkirk come out, and you've got you've got people complaining that there aren't enough characters of color in the movie. I mean, do yeah. people not realize that you know, this is 1942? Yeah. And, you know, the old joke is, I don't know if you remember the show Psych, there, were, there was a joke, you know, what, black people weren't invented in 1872? It's like we get it, but there comes a point where, you know, obviously there are cultural, cultural norms, things that we've grown up with. And it's almost a point where, it's not so much, okay, I get it. They want a strong female lead. And, okay, we're, we want to be equal. You want to give you know, women equal opportunity to have starring roles, whatever. I get it. But at what point are we starting to blur the lines between male and female? You know, despite what people want to say, there are innate differences between men and women. We think differently. We're wired differently. Whether it's physical differences, mental differences, the way we solve problems, there are differences there. And these movies are, I think, in some ways – Again, it's an attempt almost to blur those lines. And again, I'm not looking to go back to 1950 where, you know, you go to the office and like you said, the, your girl brings her coffee as she, she takes dictation, you know, and a steno pad. That's what I'm getting at. But there comes a point where, you know, men and women aren't the same, you know, from a, from a chromosomal biological difference through just the way we act. No matter how much social engineering you try to impart on that, there are going to be innate human characteristics in nature that's just going to come out no matter how much you try to get boys to play with little dolls they're going to want to make their finger into a gun and play cowboys and indians or you know cops and robbers or whatever it just it's just the way it is and i think that or how much we see this push there's going to be that eventual clash and this is where people get irritated when you're taking a beloved character and why do you have to change it so on the movie side of things before we get to the gender portion I think it really comes down to laziness, and, and you guys were kind of hitting on it, but I'll make it more blunt. Uh, I think it's indeed primarily to capitalize on an existing franchise because they're essentially, is, as the Mandarin said, lazy. It's there. It's got the marketing campaign. It's a known name. If they had to create something themselves, that's more work. But, but I think that's, in fact, the crux of the issue is it's more work, and, and it, it would be more rewarding and, and more beneficial it would be better if they invested that work and created something that was special uh, to bring out a female lead character or a black lead character or an Asian main lead character. That uh, rather than than kind of using something that's been in existence for what almost sixty years as as a crutch, 
essentially. When you get to gender, you know, I totally agree with Mandarin. There are innate differences. You know, Tiffany on on our timeline today on Twitter posted and she wrote it as, you know, sorry, hun, you got the wrong plumbing. Yeah. Yeah. Built differently physically. And it gets down to the chromosomal level. Yeah, no, I, the, I remember reading a biologist who said that, you know, sex is the most meaningful distinction in biology after alive versus dead. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to some degree that that's kind of silly when you see some of these, you know, female led action movies and there are these, you know, combat sequences where you have 110 pound Jessica Alba punching out these 250 pound, you know, commando guys. But, you know, I think we're all okay with that as make believe. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, that's nobody has a problem with that. I don't think, you know, other than the most like seriously literal minded people. I mean, because, you know, you sit there and you go, okay, if that guy was her size, he would probably have about 90% greater upper body strength, but he's a foot and a half taller and outweighs her by 80 pounds. There's no way he, you know, one punch and she's not, you know, laid out. Okay, we, we, we get that, but that's okay, you know, within the context of make-believe movies, right? I mean, I, I don't think that's a, a huge deal breaker in this realm. But yeah, I think, I think your, your point about laziness and repurposing existing stuff, I, I, I've done a little, you know, unsuccessful screenwriting and things like that. It's hard, but it's not that hard, right? I mean, especially if, if, you, if you say to me, hey, write me a female lead James Bond type movie set in the world of James Bond. You know, that I can knock you out a outline in a, a couple days and probably have the script for you in a couple weeks. It's not rocket science. It, whether it would be good or not is, is a whole other story. In, in the world of movies, especially, the actual writing part, while it is critical, I mean, there's nothing that can make or break a movie more than the script. It is actually fairly early and almost incidental product as the production goes on. It gets monkeyed with in a million ways and you hope it ends up as something good, but a lot of times it, it gets lost. So, I, so I, I don't think that the act of creation itself is necessarily that Promethean when it comes to that kind of stuff, especially if you have all the rules of the little world laid out for you and all that sort of stuff. But as you say, I think that's not, I, you, your your solution is the artistic solution, but I think you know, Mandarin's right that, that, that politics creeps in. And also, yeah, you're right. I think you're right too. Human nature and laziness is like, oh, well, I'll just make Jane Bond rather than you know, whatever her name would be, you know, Selena Atherton, 008, you know, whatever. You know, and getting your back to your point, you know, you talked about a 110 pound woman taking out some 300 pound behemoth. You know, I mean, we go to the movies as escapism. It's fantasy. It's it's unless it's a based on a true event. It's it's a made up story. It's mythology. It's it's whatever it is. You know, I get it when you watch a, you know an Avengers movie and Scarlett Johansson as, as Black Widow is able to do whatever she needs to do to take out fourteen men. It's a comic book movie. We get there's a suspension of belief. But like you said, I mean, at some point when it's not a comic book style movie, it's a you know I I keep seeing these stupid ads for this new um, Haley Berry movie, Kidnapped, where her son is taken from her in the park and now she's gonna chase the guy down and it's, it's you know cacophony of car chases on the expressway and gunshots and her running the guy off the road and you know beating the hell out of the guy to find out where her son's at it's like that is totally unbelievable i mean first of all the first five minutes her driving on the expressway we're, we're, we're some state trooper when you need one right but i mean it just it just doesn't make sense i mean it, it's just that is beyond suspension of belief because that's something that's trying to be rooted in reality that someone's you know child is taken and she's going after the assailant it, it just doesn't work 
And that wouldn't work whether it's a man or a woman in that case. It's just, it's just unbelievable. You know, you, you look at the movies like Taken. You know, again, it's, it's a little far-fetched, but semi-believable. But this was just out, out of the realm of the ordinary. And I, like I said, you know, you talk about biological differences. I mean, I, I practice judo, and I'm telling you, there's a reason why there's weight classes. No matter how good you are, if you're giving, you know, 100 pounds to somebody, you're going to have a really difficult time. The guys, especially at the same skill level, they're just going to get the shit out of you. <laughs> they put no, a fine point on it. It's just because you're giving up so much size and advantage to it. So, again, I think I, I love it that, you know, people want to show that anybody can do anything they put their mind to. But, again, it's got to be kind of grounded in reality. And I think, again, as an extension of this whole everybody gets a trophy, I, I think in some weird ways this is all, if you mapped it out like some Cosa Nostra map, this all maps together somehow between – you know, we're all equal, everybody's a everybody's special snowflake, everybody gets a medal, it's really starting to creep in. And I think, like I said, maybe some of these relationships are tangential, but I think over time, they start to get more and more intermeshed in those but ideas. Because let me take up Taken really go, briefly, uh, just as, as a tangent. That movie, I, a couple things. One, it's, it is a total fantasy, right? I mean, but what I think people missed around, because it's Hollywood, it's Liam Neeson, everybody's, you know, speaking English stuff, that movie is the biggest like French fantasy ever. If you notice, like Luc Besson is involved. Everybody involved in the production is French, right? Now look at the script. So first of all, there's this CIA agent, and he's this like virtuous cowboy. There's no conflict. There's no like the CIA man, which as any American movie would have to do, right? To be like, wait, it's Treadstone. Oh no, right? Like, no, no, no. He's a cowboy. He's coming in. He's got pure motives. He's got the six gun. He's coming in. And what does he do? He takes out some immigrants, some Bosnian or Albanian drug dealers, whatever they were, some immigrants. He takes out a corrupt government official and ultimately a big Arab at the end, right? These are the, this is like, you know, the French xenophobic imagination writ large, right? This is what's wrong with France. Corrupt Frenchmen, you know, unassimilated immigrants and wealthy playboy Arabs buying up, you know, white slaves and, and you know, slave bars. And, you know, and, and who will put it right? The mysterious cowboy from America who will just come, you know, come in and do the things that French people can't because they're bound by French culture. It's such a French movie and such an escapist thing. And I think, I think that went by most Americans in, you know, because we were just like, yeah, that was a pretty cool movie. He went and saved his daughter, right? It's basically like a, a slightly, it's slightly, it's definitely a higher class commando which may be the greatest Arnie movie ever made. Arnie movies being the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies made before the Terminator when he was a movie star. When his, uh, my brother once said, they just kept sticking him in movies till he learned to act. So anyway. Carries a tree. A tree. A tree. <laughs> a tree on his shoulder. Exactly. <laughs> and they've taken his daughter. Yeah, so, so again, immediately every atrocity he commits in that movie is pre-forgiven, right? Because they've got his daughter. And similarly, Liam Neeson, they've got his daughter. And, you know, they're, they're going after him. So, but, He's letting off some steam. Let off some steam, Bennett. Uh, and let's, by the way, can we say Vernon Wells in a chainmail vest making weird, vaguely homoerotic <laughs> remarks to Arnold the whole time and, uh, you know, perhaps marketing back to his great pantsless performance as uh, Wiz and the Road Warrior. Uh, we salute you, Vernon Wells, wherever you are. It's fantastic stuff. Yeah, so... so you know, again, I've lost the thread of where we were going with this, you know, actually, but yeah. So, so let me, let me steer the thread a little bit in that uh, you mentioned, you know, we've talked a little bit about casting and it's not, it's not solely limited to gender. 
I'm not. I'm let's a, say let's say sex because we're talking biological sex, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. we're saying uh, sex. we're saying sexy men, yeah. male, no, you're, male. You're saying, you're saying sexy because you're looking at us, Gord. But you know. I, I am. Yeah. I am a a big fan of the Lee Child Jack Reacher novels. They're fun to read. They're essentially look. They're not some highbrow thing. They're but they're you know when I travel for work and I need a book for the plane. Really efficient storytelling. Really really efficient. efficient. They drag you in and you are he does a great job of putting you in the action. And and I are you are you are you you, you about to make some very heightest remarks here? (laughs) So I had to go look it up, but he every book towards the beginning of the book goes through a description of what Jack Reacher is. And he is a mountain of a man. He's six five or something. Six five. 250 pounds with a 50-inch chest. He wears a triple extra-large coat. I mean, he's supposed to be physically intimidating. And I've talked with other friends of mine who are also Jack Reacher book fans. And we were essentially like, there is just no way Tom Cruise is going to be able to pull this off. Like, and, and he gave interviews. He knew that it was coming from this community, that he was going to get attacked for it because he is all of you know, I don't know, five, eight, that he just wasn't going to be able to do it. And they actually did camera tricks where they filmed up at him. They did some other things to try to make him look a little more physically imposing. Like when the hobbits grew, when they drank the ant draft. <laughs> Eat me. Um, it was, it, it doesn't work. I mean, I honestly think those two movies now that are out for the Jack Reacher series would have been better with a more physically dominant, like, and I don't know if the rock, could have pulled it off. Dwayne Johnson could pull it off because he edges a little more comedic in it. I mean, he's done some. I actually think he. But... I actually think he probably could have. Um, he, you know, he's not bad in the Fast and the Furious movies, but I think that the better precedent to look at is uh, he made a what? It's a really good B movie, sort of a low budget action movie called The Rundown, which yep. was you know The Rock versus Christopher Walken as a <laughs> mine owner in South America. Well, fortunately, I had my fingers crossed the whole time. And it, it's a it's a really good look, but he he played it straight and he I thought he did he did just fine. It reminded me of sort of that mid arc Schwarzenegger where he had kind of kind of gotten able to act and was you know yeah. doing stuff. So I I, th- I think I think somebody you know, might have been able to pull up Richard, although I don't know how tall he is either. Yeah, um, Jim Caviezel's Jim Caviezel's name was thrown around as an option for it. He's tall. He could play physically intimidating, you know, and, and, and knowing him, he would be a maniac and gain 60 pounds of muscle in the gym. Cause he's- I think I'm going to do a segue, a nice segue here for the tee up the Mandarin. It, it gets back to a point that the Mandarin's kind of hinting at here on the side of, you know, Hollywood is, seems to be bereft of good, unique ideas. And I was actually really excited when they were coming out with Valerian, even though it's getting completely panned. You know, I was hopeful that hey, here's another great sci-fi movie that's unique, that's new. It's not, you know, it's not yet another Star Wars or Star Trek or, or something based on that, which is fine. Those are good. But I don't know, Mandy, if you want to go into kind of your thought on Hollywood being out of ideas and the, the kind of, as you said in the comments here, the, a lot of remakes of bad 60s TV is, seems to be what we're resurrecting. Absolutely, and I just want to say right before we get to that, I'm so glad you didn't say it was Baywatch. But anyway, um, 
<laughs> Getting back to the topic at hand. Hey, and coincidentally tonight, I think uh, the czar is at watching uh, Baywatch at, uh, at an IMAX theater he found somewhere. So, Are you kidding? It'll be the dollar show. He's cheap. He's, uh... <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's two things here. Like you said, I think, you know, we people want two things. They want comfort. They want familiarity. So I think, again, we path of least resistance. Let's go back and let's make that, you know, Adam's Family movie. Let's make the Beverly Hillbillies movie. Let's make a movie based on, you know, Studio 66 or whatever, you know, goofy show was out there or another Twilight Zone remake or whatever it is. You see a lot of that because, again, I get it. There's familiarity. People understand those characters. Although I think at this point, I think your audience is so young. I think if you went to most kids nowadays in high school and said, oh, there used to be a TV show called The Monsters on TV. They look at you like you're, you know, had a third eye. What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're you're getting at. So I think eventually, although I say what's old is new again, but I I don't know how much longer they can really keep relying on that. And second of all, getting back to your other point where, you know, you you cast Tom Cruise as, as Jack Reacher and he doesn't really fit the role in the book. He's too small for the part based on the way the character is described. The issue here is, I think you get Hollywood has these actors, these known bankable assets that they're going to shoehorn in because whether he exactly matches what's shown in that book or not, he fits a, you know, he knows we're going to get butts and seats, sell tickets, you know, no matter what the vehicle is, just because that name is attached to that movie, he's going to draw in an audience. And until, you know, that's not the case anymore or somebody else comes by to supplant him, I think that's where you're going to see these people, I want to say miscast, but they're going to put whoever they want in because they draw a thing. Just like, you know, you talk about Idris Elba. Here's a big name actor, does a great job. I mean, I, I loved him in the Thor movies. He's done a lot of good stuff. I've seen him in other things on, B, on BBC America, whatever. But again, there's a popular name. So where can we shoehorn him into? Well, James Bond, we'll shoehorn him into this. We'll give him this, this role. Not because necessarily he's the best for the role, but because he's that hot, next hot item, that next hot ticket that's out there. And I think, again, you know, it comes to a point where I get it. You know, as a movie studio, I need to sell tickets. I need to keep the doors open and the lights on. These movies cost a fortune to make now. You know, it's not like we're spending, you know, $20 million to make a movie that's going to make $80 million we get our money back. I mean, you're talking blockbuster movies that cost half a billion dollars in some cases at this point. You know, whether it's Wonder Woman or the Infinity War that's coming out. These are big cost items for a studio. There's a lot of money on the line. They need to know they've got a guaranteed rate of return. Now, they're going to put actors in these roles. They're going to draw people into the theater, whether they're exactly cast right or not. Although I think, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man was a fantastic casting call, but that's beside the point, <laughs> you know. So until you, you get those, it's almost a catch-22 because, you know, we're, here we are, we're, we're pontificating on the fact that they want to bring these female roles. So, you know, there's that whole idea that maybe, you know, they're doing it for social engineering issues, that, you know, we're going to show that, you know, m- women are just as great as men, that they can do anything a man can do, whatever. Or is it more the fact that, you know what, uh, an Angelina Jolie puts butts in seats. So we will write the movie around her and, oh, well, we forgot to change the Russian from a male-dominated you know, inflection to a female you know, inflection, whatever it is. They don't care because they figure, you know, aside from you, Volga, maybe three other Russian speakers out there, nobody's going to pick that up. <laughs> you know, the average audience member is not going to catch that. They're just there to see that, you know, this is a good movie. We enjoyed it. Question of originality that um, Gore T broke up with uh, Valerian um, and our friend Luc Besson, we should mention. And we do have a history with Luc Besson. If you want to uh, search on our website, look for Luc Besson in the little uh, Gormagon search engine on the left side. We, we, we have some issues with Luc going back away. But uh, 
the fifth element is the movie Gort is probably thinking of when he's thinking of, boy, I want to see something new that surprised me. Because that's the movie you know, I remember sitting in and going, I have the unexpected sensation. I have not the slightest clue what's going to happen next. And, oh, it's opera. Okay, sure. So, and it was, a again, a, a French movie in a lot of ways, but it was a, a really cool and creative thing. And my understanding is that Valerian it does have astonishingly cool and creative world building stuff and all that. It's just this, you know, ultimately, and again, we're coming back to scripts. The story isn't that great. And uh, at least the lead actor isn't so hot. The lead actress is supposed to be pretty good, but I, I think there still is the material out there. Well, I think the orbital platform needs a little steering. I think we're nearing coming over where the czar and pooter are hanging out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Look down. You can see pewter's throwing up something bright blue. Bombs away. Oh, God. Is that one of his, the czar's like Listerine and Kahlua blue Russians or something? I don't know. It's dangerous regardless. Yeah, you don't, you, you do not, minions do not go drinking with Pewter and the czar. I don't know if I put that in the visitor's guide, but do not go drinking with Pewter and the czar. Uh, they may try to lure you to the laughing peacock, but many of our guests do not return therefrom. They are professionals. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Once we take care of the czar and pewter, we'll come back with part two of our take on movies, TV, and the newer streaming platforms for entertainment. Tune in then. A tree! A tree! (laughs) 